Hello, thanks for listening to the Total Knee Tips and Pearls podcast. This is Adam Rosen, your host. I'm a fellowship-trained orthopedic surgeon who specializes in joint replacement. In these episodes, I'm going to share with you a lot of my tips and tricks and review classic articles and current implant designs. Thanks for tuning in and on with the show. Hello and welcome back. This is Adam Rosen and you're listening to the Total Knee Tips and Pearls podcast. So on today's episode, I'm going to stay with the theme from the last episode and actually talk to you about hips. Um, I've had a few requests to have some hip information. Um, so I wanted to talk today about the acetabulum. Um, I find that especially when our fellows come through that a lot of them may have developed a lot of comfort with the approaches um, and due to doing lots of hip fractures and hemis, they have a little bit more comfort with the femoral side, um, but a lot of them don't have a ton of exposure to preparing um, and placing the acetabular component. And I think there's a few really, really important things that that I see and things that I try to teach, and I'm going to try to go over those with you today in the hopes that the next time that you're in there and doing the cup, that you learn from some of these little tips and tricks that I've learned over the years. So number one, with pretty much any surgery, is going to be the approach and the exposure. So if you can't see, you're not going to be able to do a good job of reaming, and you're not going to be able to do a good job of placing the cup. So especially in the beginning of your career, don't struggle and try to get this all done through a small incision that you really want to make sure that you have adequate exposure to place the implants well. You know, we saw this, I remember around like 2005, 6, 7, 8, around the world, everybody thought, you know, small incision, quicker recovery, less pain. And, you know, then what came out was a bunch of studies showing that smaller incisions led to more dislocations, fracture, and other problems just because we couldn't visualize what we were doing. So incisions went from really big to really small to now sort of middle of the road. Um, and I always joke with my patients in San Diego when they ask about the length, you know, I'll say, well, your incision is going to be bigger than a bikini, but smaller than board shorts. But I tell them the important thing is if I need to make it bigger to see what I'm doing, to put the implants in as perfectly as possible, I'm going to make it bigger. Um, and that's really the goal is you want to be able to see and you know, like you've probably already seen and read and have been exposed to is that smaller incisions, they don't do justice to the skin. You know, you hear about this U versus V transformation at the distal aspects of the skin. So when you stretch and stretch and stretch, you're going to have an uglier looking wound that has a higher risk of wound complication or drainage or infection. So, you know, just lengthen the incision just a little bit. So that approach aspect is really important. The next other part too is is even your neck cut. So if you leave your neck cut long, then you're going to have difficulty not only seeing the cup, but if you're not aware that the neck cut's long and it's pressing on the reamer, you're more likely to ream out the posterior wall. So you need to make sure that you can see. Now, if you need to, and occasionally I've done this where I'm not sure about the neck cut, the neck cut's a little long, I may actually go ahead and do a couple quick brooches to get an idea of where it is, calcar plane, just to take it down a little bit. If it's really long, just take this saw and recut it. So you want to be able to expose that. Now, the other little trick or caveat there on the femoral side is if the femur is not translating well anteriorly, sometimes you can release the anterior capsule 
and what we're talking about here is I'm talking about for the posterior approach, but release the anterior capsule off of the anterior neck, just below where your neck cut is, and look for osteophytes. If there's osteophytes there, that can sometimes tent the femur and the tissue and not allow you to translate it anteriorly enough to see the acetabulum. And if they have a really tightened, thickened inferior capsule, sometimes just releasing that inferior capsule, these are all tricks that allow your assistant to retract that femur anteriorly to better expose the acetabulum. Now, the other aspect with the approach exposure aspect of the acetabulum is being able to see the bottom of the acetabulum. So when is this a problem? Well, dysplastics. So in dysplastic cups, a lot of times that thickened redundant tissue is quite hard and firm. And it's very easy to be fooled that when you take out the soft tissue, you think that's the bottom and actually the bottom's further down. So you really need to debride, 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 debride to really find the TAL or the bottom of the cup. And and I've had some really, really bad dysplastics that occasionally I'll do that and put my first reamer in and then take an x-ray, you know, make sure that my hip center is actually where I think it is before I start to expand. And then the other little caveat for the inferior aspect of the cup is when there's lots of osteophyte. Because especially if you have this, you know, calcified TAL or a large osteophyte, what can happen then is you put your reamer in and the reamer actually gets forced superiorly because you're stuck on that inferior osteophyte and that makes your hip center higher. So if you need to take the rongeur and osteotome and take out that inferior osteophyte calcified TAL tissue to make sure that you can truly identify the inferior aspect of the cup. Now, the next thing um, that I always talk to people about is that you need to see where the center of the cup is. And and that sounds easy, Um, but the center of the cup is not always where it may appear when you first look. So when you look at the fovea, if they have an open fovea and deep to the floor, sometimes that is in the center and you would think, oh, well, it's just the top of the U-shaped fovea and that's where the center is. But if they've developed osteophyte, you may be only seeing the back of the fovea um, or the front you know, aspect. It may be anteriorized. So if you're looking at just the top of the U, you may be fooled in believing that the center of the hip is posterior or anterior. More commonly, it's posterior. And again, if you can't see the anterior wall, if the anterior wall is more sclerotic, if the fovea has been calcified, the posterior wall is deficient and you put your reamers in and you're not aware, very easily you start to expand and now you expand out the posterior wall and you've moved your hip center posterior. And this is a big problem because as you ream out the posterior wall, you lose fixation. But also as you posteriorize your hip center, what then happens is that when you do your trialing, the greater trochanter hits on the pelvis earlier and they're unstable. So you're trying to figure out like, hey, what's going on? I need to increase my offset and my length. And now all of a sudden you got the leg too offset or too long just to gain stability because the hip center has been posterior. So it's kind of like placing in your guide rod um, in a distal tibia fracture that you're about to nail. And you got to make sure that your guide wire is perfectly centered because if you start reaming, sometimes the reaming is eccentric and then you go to put your rod in and it kicks out your reduction. So The first ream is extremely important. And sometimes if the anterior wall is sloped and sclerotic, I may be holding the reamer in the center of the acetabulum, but the reamer is really only touching bone on the anterior wall. 
and I'm reaming to then create the center. Because once I create the center of my dome, then each successive reamer fits into that spot and I expand. So the next part of this then is, if I think I found the center and I've reamed the center, I wanna make sure that I can see the acetabulum and then each time I wanna make sure that the circumference around the superior, anterior, posterior aspect of that reamer is symmetric all the way around. Because if you're looking at that and you start to notice that now I'm touching the posterior wall, but I have a big gap superiorly anteriorly, it lets you know that your reamer is not centered anymore. And as you expand, you're gonna remount the posterior wall. It's occasional, but less common to remount the anterior wall. But that can happen as well. Um, so you, you wanna make sure that there's a concentric space if you've nailed it perfectly with the center with the first reamer, then each successive reamer is gonna just make that space get smaller and smaller until you have a nice circumferential ream of the acetabulum in a concentric sphere. But if you notice as you go up in sizes that you're off, this is where you can kind of cheat it a little bit. Now, other things to keep in mind. If you get into the acetabulum and you take out the labrum and go, wow, the labrum's huge. And then you go to ream and go, wow, the acetabulum shallow, and you didn't recognize on the x-ray that they were dysplastic, just remember that next time you scrutinize an x-ray, you have to realize that cup is a dysplastic cup. And sometimes it doesn't necessarily fit into the measurement of a dysplastic cup based on the center edge angle, but you can get a dysplastic-like cup. Um, and you want to be aware of that because you have to know, especially if you're templating, you know, do I need to more medialize this cup to get coverage? But every time that you go in there and you don't see that on the x-ray, but you notice, oh, the big labrum, and it doesn't click in that, oh, this person might be a dysplastic, and then you go, wow, cup's really shallow. You didn't catch that as part of your preoperative planning and templating. Now, the other thing that I want people to be aware of too, and it kind of goes back to one of the first things we talked about with exposure is the neck. So as people start to ream, especially as you get into the last one or two reamers, and you're trying to get your aniversion, you really need to be aware of the leg position. Um, and if your reamer is banging into the neck, because then what can happen is if you don't recognize, it's like a seesaw, that your last reamer or two is gonna start to ride up and posterior. And again, now you get more of an oval and not necessarily a concentric ream. And that can affect your cup position or you can ream out that posterior wall. So you want to make sure that the entire time, if you have to move the leg, adjust the leg, adjust the retractor, that exposure is key throughout the entire process. The last, I think it's the last, the last important thing that I want to talk to you about, which I find is hard and difficult, and I don't have a very specific sort of algorithmic way to explain it to you though, is about medialization. So every person that you work with or meet with is going to have a different way of doing this. And, you know, what I find is that you really have to look at how deep um, do you have to ream to get to the medial wall? And then you also have to ask yourself, you know, based on your templating and the anatomy, you know, do I have to go all the way to the floor? Do I have to go past the floor? Do I have to stay off the floor? So the way that I meet, I'm typically almost always medialized to the floor. I know that in dysplastic shallow cups, I may medialize a little bit further. Um, and I know in a deep cup like a Petruzio, I may medialize less as long as I have full coverage and can't sell a spoon. So again, it's an art, not a science. Um, and when I ream, my last few reamers are in my appropriate position of abduction and aniversion. 
But when I go to that position depends on how deep the acetabulum is because if they have a very, very deep acetabulum and a huge floor that you have to get down to and you start with your reamer at 45 degrees of abduction, as you ream in and medial, you may also be reaming up, which may raise your hip center. And if you medialize deeply all the way to the floor with each reamer, and then with your last reamer, put yourself at 45, you're going to take out a little bit more of the inferior aspect of the acetabulum, and that's going to leave that sort of superior double bubble look on your x-ray, where you're going to go, I know I'm down, but I see this sort of gap up top at like, you know, Charlie Delis zone two. And you're wondering like, you know, why, I know I'm seated, why do I have that? And that's usually because, you know, you've reamed straight down medial and the reamer has taken out that bone. And now with your last reamer, you've expanded and you've left sort of that space. So what I find is that if the depth of the acetabulum that I'm gonna ream is small, I may medialize with the first reamer or two. And then I may drop if I'm getting close to where I need to be, I may drop right into that position of abduction and anaversion. And my goal is actually always, if I'm, let's say I'm reaming to the floor, is to leave like a half a millimeter, just a little lip um, until my last reamer. Because if you ream all the way to the floor on your first like one, two, three reamers, and now you're just trying to expand, did you medialize by accident? And it's really hard to know that. Whereas if you leave a little step off, for the very last reamer that I know then when I'm down to that last reamer and I remove that, I know that I'm down where I need to be. So I always try to leave a little lip for that very, very last reamer to make sure that I'm all the way down to the floor. Now, if I have a very, very deep area, what I may actually do is medialize, medialize, medialize. Now I'm into some cancellous bone soft. I'm starting to expand. And then I might drop down 10 degrees of abduction for the next you know, reamer and then 20 degrees and then 30 and then 45. So I may successively drop my hand into my position, again, depending on how many reamings I need. You know, did I start way below what the cup size would be or just a few reamers below what the cup size is going to be? So again, that's an art and I don't have a very specific algorithm, but it's going to depend on, you know, how big is the cup? How hard is the bone? Are you starting with a small reamer, a big reamer? Are you going through eight sizes, three sizes and the depth of the floor but all those things are, are really, really important. Um, once you've removed the labrum, removed the fovea, exposed the cup, ream the cup, now you're going to put the cup in. So what I find is, like anything, I try not to always rely on tools, instruments, and machines. Why? Because if you do that, you start to lose that art, that feel, that touch, that eye. So what I'll do is once I've exposed my cup and reamed my cup well... Um, I'll always wash, irrigate, take a lap, dry it out, make sure I have good cancellous bones, see if there's any labrum or other soft tissue that got stuck in there, see if there's any cysts that need to be curated out. And then I put my cup in, and then I position the cup where I believe it needs to be. This is, again, based on my eye, based on the hip position, based on the TEL, TAL, based on the coverage. So all those things I'm really looking at, and I'm giving it a couple gentle hits to seat it. So if I let go, it's going to stay there. Then I'll add my antenna and recheck. And it's always nice when you recheck it with the instrument and you're accurate. So it means that your eye is showing you what you would rely on with the instrumentation. And occasionally you may make adjustments either based on the alignment antenna or based on a patient's particular anatomy. 
Um, and then at that point, then I seat the cup. So if anybody has studied music, I really want you to think about music and this sort of crescendo, decrescendo, whether or not you're impacting the femoral or the acetabular component. I see too many people pick up the mallet and just hit it as hard as they can. If you're off a little bit, that's going to more likely cause a fracture. And, you know, a fracture of the calcar is one thing, you know, a fracture of the acetabulum is a bigger, bigger disaster. Um, so I always start with a gentle tap and it's just tap, tap, tap. And as I get my taps and I get my rhythm and I hear the sound and I feel the pitch and the vibration, I increase that. So it's this kind of very gentle crescendo of force. And as you're hitting it, making sure that the mallet hits clear on the inserter directly. You know, I see a lot of people that hit the bottom and what's happening is if you're hitting the bottom of your inserter handle, you're potentially dropping this into further abduction. And those are the ones you hit, 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 you let go and all of a sudden you got 10 degrees more abduction than you thought. It's because you're not hitting it squarely. So hit it squarely, crescendo, harder, 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 harder. Okay, you can see it's getting closer. You can hear it's getting closer, decrescendo. Then back off a little bit. And those last few taps become a little softer and a little longer pause between. And you're listening for that pitch change. You know, if you think you're down, you can take the depth gauge, you can check it through the holes. If you have a hold cup, solid cup, you may have to then take off the inserter and check. But this way, it prevents you from being down. And because you're hitting it so hard and so fast, you don't realize it's down. And then the next hit is, and the thing breaks, um, which can happen. Luckily, it's rare. You never want to see it. Um, but it can happen if you're not aware of how you're hitting it. Um, and then once you're down, then you can do the rest of your case. And we'll talk about some of this in other um, other podcasts. I'll give you a few more about hips. But um, position. So just briefly on acetabular position, and I don't believe you can talk about this alone. So this talks back to my previous podcast on balancing. I'm a really big believer in functional range of motion. So it really depends on the patient, the anatomy, and the combined version of their femur and how you place the femoral component and how you place the acetabular component. You know, I know when people talk and they want numbers, you know, obviously we all aim for this 45, 20 degree sort of rule, and you can base that on an x-ray. Um, what I find, if I'm visualizing, most of the time, especially if they have some osteophytes, if I place my cup correctly, the posterior superior aspect of the cup is just slightly exposed. The bottom of the cup is just within and parallel to the TAL. Usually there's a little osteophyte anteriorly. So if I'm seeing all those things, Again, it's another visual tool for me to know, okay, I think I'm in the right spot. And the approach, like the way I do my incision approaches is the same every time. So I also know that my skin incision, I'm usually one finger breath from the bottom aspect of my incision to my handle of my acetabular inserter. And there's usually a kind of a dimple or divot as the skin is being pulled down by the handle. So I use all of those tools along with the actual 45 degree sort of angle of the inserter handle and my antenna. So these are all these things that I'm looking at real time to make an assessment of where I'm putting my cup in space. What I also do recognize though is that my older people with bad backs that may be, you know, walking and these are important to watch them walk ahead of time, forward flexed, you know, pelvis tilted, you know, these are patients that may be a little bit more abducted and anaverted. 
they don't have full extension. They're not going to hit in the back. They don't go back that far, but they're more likely to bend forward or sitting in a low chair and trying to get out their weak. And they're more likely to posterior subluxor dislocate. So I give a little bit more coverage back there. Whereas if I have a dysplastic, thin, hypermobile, especially a female tennis player, you know, these are people that when you examine them on the table, you know, they got 10, 15 degrees of extension and full external rotation. So with a cup that's abducted or anverted, it's very common that the neck is going to impinge and they could anteriorly dislocate. So I would say as a whole, those patients in my practice tend to have a cup that's slightly more vertical and slightly less anverted. Um, so when you kind of look at this, you know, 4520, you know, where my, you know, older arthritic back patients with stenosis, you know, are in that more 40 to 45 range and my females hypermobile, you know, become more in that 45 to 50 range. But again, that's based on the balancing, which was talked about in the previous podcast. Um, so I hope all of this information makes sense. It's a lot. Um, and I think doing the cup is an art. Um a lot more than a science. So, you know, really next time that you're in there, really think about approach, 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 exposure, exposure, exposure. If you don't take the time to maximize your approach and your exposure, it's very difficult to see what you're doing and you're more likely to make a mistake, number one. Um, Number two, along with that approach, you gotta find the bottom of your acetabulum, especially in dysplastics, especially if there's inferior osteophyte. Um, Three, you got to make sure that you find the true hip center and make sure that your reamers stay in that true hip center. And, you know, along with that, depending on the depth that you're aiming for will change when you go from medializing your cup to position of your acetabulum, especially to create or not to create that sort of double bubble effect. And then when you're impacting, making sure that you use your eye and other landmarks in addition to other tools to assess your position. And then as you're impacting that crescendo, decrescendo sort of way of hitting it gently, hitting it harder, harder, harder until you're almost down and then backing off to hear and feel and see that you're down all the way. So I hope this information is helpful. Again, this is one of my hip episodes on the Total Knee Tips and Pearls podcast. Until next time, I'm Adam Rosen. You've been listening to the Total Knee Tips and Pearls podcast. Make sure that you're subscribed so you'll be notified of future episodes. And please take the time to leave a review. It helps other people like you find the show. Until next time, stay safe.